thank you so much, Molly, for for joining me today. It's uh, it's been really cool to see you know your journey from afar. You know, you're kind of the the one person I know that's kind of big in been in in this sort of industry or sector as long as I have, right? Even yeah. even longer, really. Uh, so it's going to be fun to kind of talk about you know your journey in the space and everything you're up to now. So I really want to start. How did you sort of maybe, you know, fall in love with this sort of industry and get to know it, uh, get to discover these different brands and, you know, all the things in the space that we love to talk about. But was there a specific moment in time, you know, writing and blogging journey where things started to to turn for you and you said, hey, I really think like this sort of ethical space around, you know, consumerism is going to really change, you know, not only my life, but, you know, a lot of people's lives in general. That is a fantastic question and great. I'm just so excited to be here because yeah, I've I've followed your work for a really long time. And so I feel like we're we're like old acquaintances from yeah, for sure. to finally for sure. sit down and connect is awesome. Yeah. So I mean my journey is is a little roundabout. And so I'm gonna try and keep it as concise as <laughs> I can, but I also am a talker. So so I started blogging when I was in college. Um, and if anybody remembers live journal, like that's where I started. So um, <laughs> and then uh my blog transfer or kind of transition to WordPress in 2007. It started out as I wanted to be a comedy writer. I wanted to be like the onion. My goal eventually like one day was to be on Saturday Night Live. And here I am like living on a farm and podcasting. And so it's very different than what I thought. But part of my story that I think is really important to this is I graduated college and I was a year out of college and I was over $36,000 in consumer credit card debt. Mm. Um, I had made some extremely poor financial decisions when I was in college. I was uh, dealing with the loss of my mother and um, my mom died when I was a senior in high school. In a lot of ways, I did not grieve or deal with it the way that I should have. And For many people, when they are grieving, they might pour themselves into alcohol or drugs Mm. or any number of destructive behaviors. I was uh, shopping. I was spending money. And that might not be as like... sexy as a drug addiction um but equally as destructive is, though can be dis- equally, equally destructive. destructive and it is i think something that people don't talk about as much is our consumeristic culture and our addiction to stuff and buying more things. And so when I was uh, a year out of college, I was a high school English teacher at the time making 30 grand a year. And I was $36,000 in consumer credit card debt. I had a full-blown panic attack. I realized that I was in more debt than I made annually as a teacher and realized that something needed to change. And so that's a whole nother story for another day as to how I got out of that debt and all of that. But over the course of the next four years, I had to unlearn all of the things that I had un- that I had ingrained in myself. And I had to mm-hmm. suddenly get to the point where I'm realizing what I was spending money on because I looked back and I was like, how did I get in this debt? And right. And I just realized it was just crap. I was just buying crap. I was doing things that I just were like, why was I spending money on these things? And anyway, there's, you know, death by a thousand cuts, but I began to have to unlearn all of these behaviors. Fast forward to 2010, um, I actually came to faith in Christ and started going to church. Uh, My life just began to completely do a 180 and everything in my life started to unravel and change in really difficult ways, but important. And I always kind of equate it to like, you don't go to the gym and work out and like do the same exercises every single day 
thinking mm. that you're going to improve your body. Like mm -hmm. change, physical change is hard. It's hard work in order to change your body. Guess what? You have to increase your reps. You have to increase your weight. You have to increase your time and you have to make it more difficult on yourself. And so a lot of those changes that I was going through in my life, like were really, really hard. And I was just changing everything about my mm -hmm. life. And I went on, um, in the summer of 2011, um, I went on, uh, a mission trip to Kenya. And I know that there's a lot of that. We, that's another conversation we could have. People sure. could have like really negative connotations about mission trips. Um, one of the things I really appreciate about uh, my church that they did then and still do now is they do missions, right? Um, we've created these partnerships with in very specific areas. And I've gone back multiple times, like those my friends in Kenya are my family. Like I mm -hmm. love these people. They are just amazing. I've, you know, celebrated the birth of their children and weddings and all these kinds of things. So, but that's a whole nother thing. Sure. But when we were there, we, on our <laughs> last day, um, we had probably about eight hours before we needed to be at the airport at the Nairobi airport. And so we went to tour a factory in downtown Nairobi, um, called Kazuri. And if people who've been in the mm. fair trade industry a long time might recognize that name because Kazuri, uh, beads are one of the Kazuri isn't like a original fair trade company. They've been around a long time. And so we went to, to tour Kazuri and it was the first time in my life that I had ever seen firsthand, like what the term fair trade really looked like in practice. Yeah. I always thought it was like, oh, it's like coffee, tea, and chocolate, you know, like that's mm -hmm. all fair trade mm -hmm. is, but it's so much more to it. And so yeah. I started to, I was learning everything about um, this incredible, incredible business. They uh, employ women from that area who many of them have special needs. Um, mm -hmm. Many of them might be single or HIV AIDS positive. A lot of the women in the communities that might otherwise be completely ostracized, mm. they give them uh, job training skills, life training skills. Um, they, you know, they train them on, you know, saving for the future, um, investing. I mean, all these kinds of things, they allow their, them to bring their children to work. I mean, it is this unbelievable atmosphere. Mm. And I started to really see like, oh, like my purchase directly right. impacts this company. And so this was 2011. So people were really talking about this at that time. And so I came home from that trip and I just dove headfirst into mm. learning everything. I read every book I could find, which there were not many at the time. I watched every documentary I could, which there were not many at the time. And I just started calling. I started asking people questions about it. And that really began my journey. And so, you know, as I was I, I finally got out of debt in the spring of 2012. And when I got out of debt, I got married and I realized I was, I was like, I'm going to change my habits. And it was not quick, but sure. it, it did happen over a period of time. But it was that trip and learning about that, that then just kind of piggybacked on my, my, I was already changing my consumer habits as it was, but then really learning like, oh, like I could be spending money with companies that are like really making a difference. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, so, and kind of the rest is history from there. When you, you, you mentioned that you had, were calling people and asking questions, was it about that specific company? Was it about the fair trade industry? Was it about, what, what were some of the questions you were calling to ask about at that time? So what I, this is quite literally what I did was I went on Google <laughs> and I was Googling like fair trade companies. 
find these fair trade companies. And I can't even remember now at the time, like who I would call, but I would just see if they had a phone number, like a customer service rep. And I'd be like, can you tell me about your company? And like, I mean, they probably are like, who is this lady like calling about this? And I just was like, can you talk to me about like, what is it? What's your mission? What are you doing? What's your purpose? And all these kinds of things. And so I, it, it was probably very strange to them at the time as to why this girl was calling and asking these questions. But I just, I wanted to learn. And the re, the, the reality was, is there was no resources out there at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least mm-hmm. that I could find, there were just not many. I mean, the Fair Trade Federation was around. So I remember going to their website and trying to like click on yep. some of the businesses there, but there were I mean, the Fair Trade Federation was, you know, they've been around for 20, what, I guess, seven years at this point, but you know, 10 years ago, they still like their website wasn't super yeah. robust. It just, the industry was just taking a little longer to kind of catch up to the rest of the world, which I understand. And it's something how, how in the last 10 years, I've seen how so many of these companies, and this is something I've, I've talked to a lot of these brand owners about is how many of them got into this industry because they had a specific cause or need that they wanted to fill. And so they went into it and created a business out of a almost a sense of obligation or Mm -hmm. a sense of like, well, this is what I'm going to do because this is how I can help. And now here we are 10 years later where, you know, you have brands like, uh, you know, J crew and gap doing fair trade denim lines or Mm -hmm. target doing fair trade denim lines, or you have, uh, you know, target becoming, um, or working with certified B corporations, uh, Athleta becoming a certified B corporation. So all of a sudden you have these big, big name brands that are catching up or trying Mm -hmm. to, and yes, like there's greenwashing. We can go into another conversation about that. But the reality is, is that fair trade certified B ethical fat, like that's no longer as much of a differentiator as it was 10 years ago. And so a lot of these brands are now having to catch up and make better websites and make better branding. And they're having to, to go the more traditional customer first model in their businesses rather than the artisan first. They have to flip it because otherwise like customers are just not going to care. Yep. It's such a all amazing, great points. Cause like, I think, I mean, that's exactly what I have seen as well. You know, the, the, the story and the passion was, was first and foremost. And that's what people gravitated to to towards but now it's you know it's the story and the passion has to be there but the product still has to be amazing yep. and like the customer yep. experience and everything that a traditional business or brand has you need to have that as well right and that's i think it's a good thing because i think that's how you get you know consumers into you know you have to almost create that virtual experience that you created physically when you went to like the factory it's like how do you yeah. bring that virtually experience to a shopper very difficult to do right but like there's there's ways to do it now that like you said you know 10 years you couldn't do it uh but now it's it's a little bit more attainable but yeah. i want to go back to when after you came back right from that trip did your writing then change immediately after you started calling, you know, all the brands and stuff like that was, was now your emphasis on what you were going to produce as a content creator, really fixated on this being the main priority of everything you sort of do going forward? Great question. And not immediately. I mean, I, I documented that trip pretty Mm. extensively on my blog and I, I talked about it some after, but I did not make the transition to, I guess what you would kind of say as like a ethical fashion blogger or like mm-hmm. conscious consumerism, whatever, like buzzword term sure. you want to yeah. throw. I don't 
even really still know what to call myself at this point. People are like, what do you do? And I'm like, how much time do you have? Um, so, I mean, I think for the most part, I it was a slow transition. And I think for a few reasons, one, because people, I mean, it was so new. And so I didn't yeah. really know how to talk about it, let alone people like, did I think people were going to care? Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, you know, I was, so I had my day job. I was working a day job in radio and I was working at this radio station. I eventually left that job and I was working in marketing for an AV tech company. And I was building up my blog the whole time because the goal for me was I wanted to be able to do this full time. Sure. And 2012 is when I started to monetize it. And then by the end of 2014 is when I was able to leave my day job and, Mm -hmm. um, and, and pursue it full time. But this whole time I'm like trying to think both writing about what I want to write about and what I care about, what I'm passionate about. And then also trying to be strategic. I'm like, okay, this is, this this is something I want to do. Like I need to write about stuff that people are going to read. So it was a much slower transition. I would say I would pepper things in. I started doing, I want to say in like end of 2013, I started doing what I kind of called uh, like fair trade Fridays. And so I would like mm. highlight some fair trade companies I'd come across. Um, in the spring of 2013, um, a friend of mine who had, I'd gone to Kenya with, um, we had thrown a fair trade fashion party. And mm. so this was like when Seiko Designs had just started. And so I always like, cause Liz Bohannon is a dear friend of mine. And we always laugh because we did one of the, like what they call when Seiko first started, they did these parties in a box and it was mm-hmm. literally like Liz and Ben would just like put this like a product in a box, mail it to you, and then you would sell it and then send them back cash in an envelope. But there wasn't like, it wasn't like people were like ML- MLM party. Like there was no incentive. It was just like the most, like, just like truly they send would us cash back, please. <laughs> And we would send them cash. Like that is how it worked. So Liz is always like, you were there for the party in a box. I'm like, yeah, yeah, Yeah. we were like real early on. So, um, but so it was like, we, we had, and like noonday was pretty new. So like we had, um, a friend who was like one of the first noonday ambassadors come and we did. So we had like Seiko, we had noonday, um, we had, uh, products from this company called the mighty river project, which is based out of Uganda. Mm. And so we, and then we invited friends over uh, to my friend Diana's house and we just kind of shared the missions of these companies and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and had like appetizers and snacks and stuff. And, and so that was the spring. And so I wrote about that and I had a lot of people start to email and be like, oh, this mm-hmm. is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, but I would say probably 2014 into 2015 is when I really started to just hone in on, okay, this is what I really want to write about and be much more intentional with it. So, I mean, it was, it was a few years of kind of a transition over time. And that's when really brands started to come out more often though. So there was more to write about. There was more to look at to, to see what was going on was right around that time. Yeah. I remember in, so I created my ethical brand directory, um, on my blog in November of 2015. And the only reason Mm -hmm. I remember that is because I was at a conference and I was pregnant with my son. I'd been talking about that. I was like, I'd really like, I get so frustrated and my readers get frustrated that like, they, they want to start shopping ethically, but they can't find any companies. And I was just like, I really wish there was a directory that somebody would create. And my husband looked at me and he was like, why don't you do it? So I was like, 
okay. So, I mean, that that's why I remember when I created it. So I created that in November of 2015. And when I first created that directory, it was so terrible and really shoddy. And like, it was just like one page on my site, but there was like 40 brands on it. Mm-hmm. And now today I have like 500 yeah. some. Um, and yeah. I know that there are more out there, but I'm, yeah. I'm the only person, people are always like, why don't you have this company? I'm like, guys, it's just me. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't have some like massive team doing this. Like, do you know how much time this takes? So, um, but that's, that's very telling that in six years or almost, you know, five and a half years that it's come that far. Hey there, my name is Asa Goldstein and I'm the founder of Brandshine Creative Services, a boutique branding agency that helps ingenious heroes save the world one idea at a time. We work exclusively with impact startups like yours, empowering your success by building your unforgettable brand your eye-catching visual identity, and your state-of-the-art website. To learn more about how we can help your startup compete against the mainstream brands that stand in your way, and to book your free brand audit, visit brandshinecreative.com. At Brandshine, we build websites with Webflow. That means we don't charge ongoing maintenance, backup, or editing fees. And by using Webflow's intuitive client editor, you can easily alter the content of your site without worrying about affecting the design or backend code. That's right. No more concerns of breaking your site because you edited one word in a blog and paying thousands to your agency to fix it. Visit brandshinecreative.com to find out how we can help you build your market-ready website today. What's come that far too is sort of the products. And I think like the, I mean, the amazing designs, the amazing qualities. Like I always tell people like, look, anything you can buy, pretty much anything you can buy, there's a sustainable ethical alternative that has yeah. a supreme mission behind it. Yep. So whereas, and I see, you see it with Tom's, it's kind of like they've sort of faltered a little bit. They're trying to find their footing because like you said earlier, the one for one model is, is sort of the first gen, I always call it, it's sort of the first generation of kind of 100%. social impact brands, right? And they kind of just didn't know how to get out of it. They got so big, they were the first, but it's like they never really evolved or yep. innovated. And they're kind of in really in trouble right now, I think. But anyway, that's a whole nother story. Uh, <laughs> but the products that, that are now out there, I always say it's like, you don't have to now buy things and think quality is going to be worse just because there's a mission behind it. In most cases, quality is actually better. Better, 100%. You know? and, and do you remember maybe a, a shift when, you know, those 40 brands came out? I'm sure there was quality amongst them. But now I think eight years later from that 2015, 2014 era, era I mean, the, the, uh, the amount of amazing products out there is just, is really just kudos to, to the founders and the, and the creative directors and the designers, because they've really crushed it as far as like products being supreme. Yeah. I mean, and to see, to see some of the companies that I started following early mm-hmm. on to see where they are now. And the, some yeah. that really come to mind that have just like, I think are as competitive with the ma- most mainstream brands, if not by and large better. Seiko is one mm-hmm. of them. Seiko, mm-hmm. I mean, started off as party in a box. And now, yeah. I mean, Seiko just released some of their first, you know, a small line of home items. The clothing is beautiful and versatile and just unbelievably made. It's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. It's stylish. It's trendy. You know what I mean? Like it's all the things that you want in products that are just 
I think blow so many people out of the water. Another one is able. Mm-hmm. I mean, able started as live fashionable, live fashionable. And they just had like this line of scarves from Ethiopia. And that was sort of their thing. And, you know, I love, I love Barrett, uh, their founder. He's just awesome. He kind of came out of, he had another organization called Mocha Club that then, I mean, mm-hmm. I, <clears throat> so I followed them when they were Mocha Club and then able or live fashionable. I mean, I always tell people, I'm like, look, if you're into like the J crew Madewell type styles, I was like, able is your brand because I mean, Mm -hmm. my able denim jacket, I got four years ago. I wear, it is the most worn piece in my closet and looks better today than when I bought it. And it's just, their stuff is made so well, so solid. Um, the root collective is another one. They just kind of Mm -hmm. started out with their basic ballet flat and now they've got wedges and boots. And just these, I mean, gorgeous handcrafted leather shoes, you know, made by these incredible artisans in Guatemala. I'm like, these are better than anything you're going to get on the market. So I think you've seen these brands where like, but I think here's a really important key point is they started. They did Mm. not wait for it to be perfect. They did not wait for them to have these robust lines, they started most of them with one product, the Root Collective Ballet Flats, the Seiko, the Thai Sandals, Able Scarves. And now here, look at them. And they're just, they're incredible, incredible companies. And so they all started somewhere and then they have learned. And I've talked, I know all of these founders, they have made massive mistakes along the way. Um, And they, but that is how you learn. And I mean, my blog name when I started guys was Molly has two thumbs. Like how terrible is that? What on earth was I thinking? But wait, was that the domain name? Was that the domain name? Molly has two thumbs.com. Still awesome. You have to keep that. You need to go get that. My graphic, my like initial (laughs) logo was a silhouetted picture of me with like two thumbs pointing them at my head. It was terrible, but I started, I started. And I, so I think that's the thing is so often people are just afraid to just do it. Mm. No, pre, I mean, it's such a a valuable lesson because it's everything, everything worth it is going to take a very long time. Like whether that's an unfortunate thing or it is what it is, but like you're crafting something for, hopefully if you're diving something into doing something like this, obviously you're super passionate about it. Look at it as like a decade long thing. Like I think if you don't, if you're not thinking like that, then you probably shouldn't go into it because it's going to take that long for it to really become what you want it to become, you know, unless you just have a ridiculous amount of funding and a big team, right? There's things can change (laughs) and and move a bit rapidly, right? Most people don't. Most people don't, right? Most people don't, especially in this world, most people don't. Most people have passion and they have an idea, right? And then it's, what is your first step? Like you said, I think preach all day. One product is a great place to start. You don't have to have a full line of anything. Start with one thing, be the best at that one thing or do it amazingly. And then move on to the next one, right? Move on to the next one. I mean, it's just, it's an evolution of, of your passion, right? And just let it manifest over time. But like that one product, I think is such a key and important thing. I want to, I want to transition a little bit into, you, you know, your evolution, right? You go from, you know, blogging about certain things, thinking your site's going to be one thing, slowly it evolves into something else. The directory starts as a small thing, now it grows into more into something else and, and so on, so on. And now I think the next evolution within your personal journey is that you and your family just bought a farm, yeah. which is super interesting. And we can go down a, 
a lot of avenues with this, right? But I guess talk about that decision to do that and maybe the long-term ideals of, of you and your husband of, of why you wanted to do this and maybe what some of the long-term goals are for it. Yeah. So, um, and it's funny because I'm literally sitting here at my desk and I'm just watching like a, there's like a herd of deer just in my like right outside my window. I just kept looking over. I was like, oh, hello. Um, although that's very common out here. But yeah, so it's when my husband and I got engaged and when we were dating, so we started dating in the summer of 2010. And it's funny because my husband has really like, my my own personal journey has really tracked with like, when my husband and I started dating. So it's, it's just kind of interesting in that, in that regard. But I, yeah, when we started dating and when we got engaged, like we'd always kind of dreamed about buying land building. And then that conversation just, you know, as you're with your partner and you're mm-hmm. talking and it's just that always sort of evolved into us talking about our long-term hopes and dreams and visions mm-hmm. and and so we'd over the years, it kind of evolved into, you know, what if, what if we had like a small hobby farm and, you know, just had space. And my husband grew up in Western North Carolina and not in like a super rural area, but his, you know, he lived, he grew up on five acres. I grew up in a really small town in Northern Virginia. That's not small anymore. It was mm. small when I was growing up, but I, I grew up in this really old farmhouse that uh, was now like a neighborhood had been built up around it, but it was like all mm. these kind of like eighties homes had been built around this farmhouse that was built in 1900. So I had like this love of old homes and the history and all that kind of stuff. And he obviously wanted more space. And so it just evolved from there. And then eventually we started just talking about, you know, our vision and and dream of being a little bit more self-sufficient and sustainable and wanting to, you know, and I I think especially... I mean, this was long before that, but I think especially like COVID amplified Mm. that because all of a sudden people are running out to Mm -hmm. the grocery stores and everybody's panic buying and all this stuff. And my husband has a few clients who are farmers and homesteaders and he's like, none of them were panicking. Like all of them were just like, ah, we're Mm -hmm. good. Like, you know, they've got their (laughs) freezer full of meat and they've got all their vegetables they grow and they're Mm -hmm. like, we're fine. So, you know, I, I think that was just something that we started to uh, to dream about. And so we started saving pretty actively. Mm-hmm. And we just, every month we would put a chunk of money, whatever we could into the savings account. That was kind of our quote land fund. Yeah. The story of how we bought this farm and how we come came to get it is a, a long one. So I'll kind of skip that. You can actually, I have a podcast episode about it where I go into the whole thing because I had a lot of people be like, well, how did this happen? Cause it was, we never, <laughs> I never talked about this publicly at all. And so it was just like one day I shared on Instagram. I'm like, Hey guys, we bought a farm. And everybody's like, what? <laughs> I was like, I realize this comes as a surprise to all of you. It is not a surprise to us. Um, so that's, I think a good lesson into like, guys, you don't know everything about somebody just based on what they share on social media. Sometimes it's good to just, you know, maybe share a part of your life that is private. And then when you're yeah. ready to share it, you can. Yeah. That's another conversation for another day. Yeah. So we, our goal with this farm is, you know, one, I think being more sustainable and self-sufficient. I mean, we've obviously as a, I say we as like the collective society have learned mm-hmm. a lot about the importance of, you know, the quality of our food and farm to table. And uh, there's a lot of talk about, you know, around GMOs and organic and sustainably raised and all that kind of yep. stuff. And when you really do a deep dive into the food industry, there is the food industry is ripe with corruption. And yeah. I don't want to sound like I have a sure. tin, tin foil hat or anything, but it's just yeah. the reality no, of like yeah, of a lot of 
the way that our food is grown and um, raised is, is unethical. And so mm-hmm. I think it, for me, it began to become kind of a natural progression in my own journey. Now, I am not saying that all of you who have a passion for this need to go out and buy a farm, but you could maybe buy from your farmer's market. Maybe you can support local farmers. And so we started doing doing that a few years ago. Like every year we buy, um, we are meat eaters. So if you are not a meat eater, I'm sorry but more meat for me. Um, we love meat, but we buy, uh, every year we get a, what's called like a quarter side of a cow from a local beef farm. Mm. And Mm. so we we know we have been to that farm. We have seen how those cows are raised. Um, they are, it's a, this like fifth generation cattle farm. Um, Mm. and they are just a fantastic family. And so we love being able to support that farm and know where our beef is raised. And I'm not going to lie. It's the best beef. (laughs) No, there, there is such a difference. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. Yeah. And so we do that in like every, um, you know, in the seafood industry, Mm. the majority of the seafood that you buy from the grocery store, especially like shrimp, uh, shellfish, any kind of shellfish, things like that. Like a lot of it is just raised in these just horrible conditions in like Thailand, China, where you have people who are paid either nothing or very little to like spend all day in freezing water, peeling and gaining shrimp. And so every summer when we go to the beach, we go to a local uh, uh, seafood stand and we buy in bulk North Carolina caught shrimp. Then they know Mm -hmm. the farmer or that they know the the fisherman that gets that shrimp. So like, we've really done these, these steps to know where we're getting our food from. And so part of our goal is one to eventually get to the point where we're entirely raising our own meat. Mm-hmm. where we're not buying any meat from the store, or if there's something we don't want to raise, like if we don't want to eventually yeah. get cattle, I don't know if we will. We, my husband's like really on board with like getting bison. And I'm like, ah, that seems like a lot. Uh, I'm not quite there in my journey. <laughs> At Brandshine, we forge premium brands and digital presences for the next generation of impact startups. If you're unsure whether your impact brand is ready to take on the mainstream brands that stand in your way, Download our free seven-step guide to building a market-ready impact brand at brandshinecreative.com slash causeartist. The guide is a deep dive into our full branding process and includes real-life examples of successful impact brands that leverage the principles we use to build memorable brands. Download it at brandshinecreative.com slash causeartist. But what one thing I want to go back quick is, is what yeah. you said is like simple lifestyle changes like mm-hmm. are effective. Yes. Like, they, whether they affect you, but they also felt like affect your local economy. They totally. affect, you know, ecosystem around you. Like these are important little small things, like you said, like that make a real difference and you don't yeah. have to go all crazy with it. Right. Just start right. very small at one specific part of your lifestyle. Just shift that a little bit. Right. And yeah. that just kind of, like you said, you can always go back to the work and I'll parallel a little bit. Right. It's like, you could do, you don't have to start, you know, doing triathlons, like do one workout like a day just do something yep. like walk for 10 minutes a day and it's that's the the parallel i like to say it's like small things they'll eventually they'll they'll keep going and they'll turn into something greater and greater and greater and then you'll buy a farm yes yes, yes <laughs> basically, it's exactly and then we also eventually 
actually, you know, I, I kind of have a dream of having like a little farm stand and, um, or selling at a farmer's market and, yep. you know, with eggs or honey. Um, my husband just got, uh, our bees. So he is, he is the beekeeper. And so mm. is my five-year-old son. My five-year-old son is a junior beekeeper. <laughs> I, on the other hand, full transparency have a lifelong phobia of bees. So it is something that I am Interesting dynamic. On. It Interesting is a very, yeah, I yeah. am not the beekeeper. So I am cheering my husband on. I will help with the honey harvest, but that the day, nope. I just stand very far away from the hive. I think it's beautiful. I'm really mm -hmm. excited about it. I also do not go near it. So I'm on a journey. Probably in five years, I'll be out there like without even gloves on, like dealing with the bees. Probably not actually at all. But um, I will be like in like four suits. I will be in like four bee suits and just like there will be no way that a bee can sting me. So, I mean, but yeah, eggs, honey. Um, we also have just an e enormous amount of walnut trees on our property. And so we're like, okay, nice. what kinds of things do we make with walnut? Um, mm -hmm. you know, walnut butter, walnut milk, like yeah. walnut spreads. I don't know. I mean, cause I mean, they're enormous walnut trees. And so when we looked at this house back in November, we could see how many were on the ground. And so I'm like, we are going to have just a massive walnut yeah. harvest. So things like that, that like, what can we do? We also have, you know, we have blueberries and blackberries and peaches and apples and all those kinds of things. So, and then our garden. So, you know, we're, we're kind of just thinking through what could we do? Um, what could we sell? But I think initially we will start with probably honey, um, eggs, and then something with walnuts because we have a plenty of them. So that's great. Yeah, that's, no, that's, that's, that's phenomenal. That's a really, really amazing goal to have. Yeah. We talked a lot about you know, evolution in all this, which is really cool. Like the evolutions of, of, of a lot of things you've sort of done that have gradually formed into to what you have now. I want to talk a little bit about the future of the site, you know, the platform and, and things maybe you want to do for, for that, right? In, in your physical world, you kind of have these, you, you're, setting, you're setting yourself up to do these things and have these goals uh, yeah. with the farm and kind of what you do want to do with the family. And then you have, you know, this platform that you built for you know, a decade, which is so impressive in itself. What are the next evolutions or steps maybe you want to do or take for the platform and keep sort of building that out? My main focus uh, this year is, you know, just continuing to grow my podcast. Um, I launched that in the summer of 2016. So I'm coming up on five years crazy. there, um, which is just kind of crazy to me and unbelievable. At the time, I just, I was like, well, I want to tell some of these stories of these brands. And yep. um, I'm just going to start with like the 10 people that I know and see what happens. And here I am. Another like, great, another great tip. Start yeah, with people I mean, you like know. 250 you know. some yeah. episodes later. And I'm just like, how did this happen? Um, so it's, which is awesome. And, and uh, I am also working on um, a book. So that has been something that I have been praying about and dreaming about for years and years and years. And I started writing it actually in like 2017. Um, and then 2018, uh, I had a lot of kind of some personal stuff happen and life was going through another kind of life change. And I kind of put it on hold and the last I'd say probably year, my husband and a couple of dear friends are like, so when are you going to, when are you going to pick that back up? When are you going to do that again? And I'm like, Oh yeah, you're right. I should, but here's a great example. And I'm kind of preaching to myself here is, is the whole idea of just starting because I had started and because of just some things that had happened, I had to put it on hold. And I think 
now that so much time has passed, I second guess myself and I start to go, can I really do this? Like, this seems really scary. I don't know if I'm able to do this. And so, um, I've been working with, uh, you know, a couple friends who are sort of accountability partners, a, a coach, um, who's really trying to be like, you can do this. Mm-hmm, you just mm-hmm. have to do it. And so I'm kind of preaching to myself here, but yeah, that's, that's my two big focuses this year is really just putting the pedal to the metal on my book and podcast stuff. And then of course, obviously just having fun on the internet. Um, Instagram reels are now admittedly <laughs> one of my <laughs> new favorite things to do. Um, the former comedian in me is like this, this is the social media I've been waiting for all these years. Cause I really miss doing comedy. Um, uh, I did sketch an improv comedy for about 15 years and so amazing. You know, I haven't done it since, uh, gosh, like 20, 12. And so I just really miss that. Um, and so I think it's well, like these platforms that are like being <laughs> toward that, right? Yeah, like I know. You can really sort of do that I know. now. I was texting with an old friend. She was like, I am loving your Instagram reels. And I was like, girl, I found it. I found it. <laughs> the, the real Molly can come out now. <laughs> Bring Molly two thumbs back. Molly has two thumbs. We're bringing it back, Grant. We're bringing it back. No, actually, that is staying away forever. But (laughs) sentiment is there. (laughs) I appreciate it so much, Molly. I mean, uh, this, I I can't believe it took us this long, but like, this has been like a a perfect conversation and everything that I I wanted it to be. So uh, you've been an inspiration for me from afar. And I I know for a a lot of people, I, I think we, we all, you know, wish to continue success. And I think that the farm thing is such a, a next evolution and I can't wait to, to watch it and see as that as it, as it grows and obviously the platform and, and just thanks so much for everything you've done for the industry, for, for fellow brands out there. I know you've done a ton for them as we, we talked about, but I mean, it takes, it, it takes a village, right. To kind of move everything forward and, and you've been a leader in it for a while. So Really appreciate everything you've done and best of luck for the next decade. Grant, thank you so much. That means uh, the world to me and it has been truly a pleasure to be here. 